You're listening to Richard Ellis Talks. Whether you find yourself in a good place, maybe a difficult place, or perhaps even in a very lonely place, you've come to the right place. Pastor Richard will challenge and encourage you today with a Christmas season message of God's greatest gift, Emmanuel, the hope of the world, as we share the 25 Talks of Christmas all this month on Richard Ellis Talks. Now, a reminder that you can always listen to, download, and even share this or any talk with a friend right from the Advent calendar on the website, richardellistalks.com. So let's jump right in with today's talk. Here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Christmas Eve. We're going to start over here in Genesis and work our way, believe it or not, all the way to Revelation. And Christmas Eve is not just a day. As it turns out, it's also a person. And we'll see who that is by the time we're done. But if you start in Genesis chapter 1, and it's really hard to do Christmas without going all the way back because you got to figure out why there even is a Christmas Assuming everybody knows that, but we won't assume anything. In Genesis chapter 1, 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then verse 27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then you go on and see what he did, you know, the animals, the birds, all these things. These are the kind of things sometimes you read and you just say, well, I don't know if there's an answer to that, so I'm not going to stir anything up. I'll let it go. And the gentleman that discipled me years ago pointed this out to me and made some sense of this. The dilemma you have is in Genesis chapter 1, you have verse 27 again, God creates man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. And it says, in the image of God, he created him, speaking of Adam, male and female, though. So how do you have a man, I guess it's just his feminine side coming out or something, but you've got a man, but he says it's male and female. Now you go over to chapter 2 of Genesis, and in verse 8, it says, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Now he only put the man there. But in Genesis chapter 1, he made a male and a female, so where's the female? He only puts the man in the garden. And out of the ground, the Lord made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four river heads. And he goes on and talks about those. Then in verse 15... Then it says, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, which is interesting too in a minute, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, now doesn't make any sense, you'd think, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Well, why would he have to make a helper if he already made one in Genesis chapter one? Because it said he made him male and female. So we got a female somewhere. Why are we making a female if we've already got a female? Where is this female? 
Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Where is this woman? If she was made in Genesis chapter 1. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. Now, where was this woman? It's not a trick question. Where was Eve if she was made in chapter 1? She was in Adam. Eve was in Adam. And what God did in Genesis chapter 1, the word created is to make something from nothing. In chapter 2, he uses the word made, which is to make something of something. So God creates Adam, but he made Eve out of Adam. She was in Adam all the time. Okay? Everybody got that? So you got Eve in chapter 1 in Adam. Now you got Eve out of Adam, and that was a great relief, I'm sure, for her to finally get out of there. So God takes this rib and made it into a woman and brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone. Why? The bone literally was taken from him to make woman and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. So he names her too because she was taken out of man. So woman having something to do with being taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. All right, so you got a man and a woman in chapter 1, but you really only have a man. God puts that man in the garden, says it's not good for him to be alone, takes the woman out of the man. Now you got a man and a woman in this garden. And then all hell literally breaks loose in Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent, in verse 1 of chapter 3, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, so you got a talking serpent here now. And you say, well, this can't all be true. You know what? If you believe God created the heavens and the earth, he can make a snake that speaks, okay? Don't get bottled up in this. And this is the devil himself said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, what did the devil do? He starts asking questions about and causing Eve here specifically, goes after Eve, questioning her, did God really say something? And parenthetically here, let me say this. This is where it all falls apart. And this is where it falls apart in each of our lives because God says certain things are true and then the devil comes along and says, no, no, wait a minute. That's not even rational, reasonable. Any thinking person knows that you can't do these miracles and he gets you thinking, well, you know, maybe that doesn't make sense. Maybe that's not true. So the devil gets Eve off guard here, a little off balance. Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Now, how did Eve know that? God didn't tell Eve that, did he? right? Who did God tell that? He told Adam when he put him in the garden before he took Eve out of Adam, God told Adam, don't eat of that tree. How did Eve know? Adam had probably communicated that to her. Okay, 
It's all ours, babe. Don't eat that tree over there. You know, here's the deal. He had to provide some leadership for his wife. Then the serpent said to the woman, you're not going to die. You will not surely die, for God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. Now, this isn't popular and it'd be easier for a woman to get up here and say this, but Eve screwed the thing up, okay? Now, before you go too far, ladies, saying, well, I'm not comfortable with that, Adam screwed the thing up too. Adam, it says in the next little phrase here, it says Eve ate it. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. So if this guy was all that, he wouldn't have let her eat it, number one, and certainly wouldn't have you know, partaken of the fruit. So they both ate. Now the devil went through the woman to get to Adam. And that's all I'm going to say. The devil went for some reason to Eve, thinking if I can get her, maybe I can get him. And you know what? It worked. He busted up the whole thing with one piece of fruit. But Adam is right there and should have taken the lead, should have done his job and said, no, God said, don't do that. Verse seven, then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? It's not like God didn't know where he was. God knows where all of us are, but when we sin, we have a tendency to hide. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He's not afraid because he's naked. He's afraid because he disobeyed. Being naked and discovering that is a symptom of the real problem. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave it. <laughs> And this has been going on since the beginning of time. <laughs> it's not my fault. Now, here's where he screws up again. He should have taken responsibility. And if you've got a boss of any kind worth anything, you know, when something goes wrong, you take the heat. Say, so you know what? It's not her fault. I'm responsible. I take full responsibility for anything that happened under my authority, whatever it is. Adam shouldn't have been pointing. He should have been taking responsibility for his own sin and not leading his family. The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me. Now everybody's just putting it down the line. Well, I didn't do it, you know, the serpent did it. The serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, he didn't ask the serpent anything, he just went after the serpent. Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, we've talked before, and I've mentioned this before, about her seed. We know that her seed ends up being Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah that comes, but what about his seed? Who is his seed? Now, I'm going to go over here to John chapter 8 and take a minute and read you something. You jump into John. Jesus is alive. He's on the planet, this promised Messiah. And he's speaking to a bunch of religious guys. 
In verse 37, he says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. Now, that's about to get real nasty here in a second, because he says, Jesus is talking about his father, and he, now Jesus talks about their father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Now, he's about to call them Satan's children here in a second, and it's not going to go over big. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. I really don't recommend this in any conversation with anybody. I mean, this could get you fired really fast. And you say, well, I'm just quoting scripture to him. That's what it said, you know. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. Now, what are the desires of the father? He was a deceiver. He was a liar. Ultimately, he's a murderer, and this is what he says here. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. So who are the children? Who is the seed of the serpent? As it turns out, in part, it's these religious guys. And Jesus flat out calls them, your father, you are the children of Satan, basically, because you're liars, you're murderers, and that's who he is, that's who you are. And they were out to kill him and to destroy him, and ultimately God allowed it because it was part of his plan. In Romans chapter 16, verse 20, here Paul writes to them, and he says, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, amen. So literally talking about the God of peace crushing Satan and what this alludes to in Genesis, crushing Satan under your feet shortly. In other words, he will be defeated. Then he goes on in Genesis chapter 3 in verse 16, and to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife. You didn't listen to me, Adam. You listened to your wife. Now, I'm not saying we should not listen to our wives, but let me tell you something. If your wife is saying something and God's saying something else, you better pay attention to what God's saying and lead. You say, well, you don't know my wife. And I say, you don't know my God. It'd be better to have the wrath of the wife than the wrath of God on your house. And you say, yeah, but she'll manipulate and make my life hell. God has his ways of getting your attention too. You better pick a lane. You say, well, you still don't know my wife, you know. <laughs> It is a hard thing to do the right thing, but it's the right thing to do the right thing, and it's worth it. And sometimes, you know, I understand I push, women push, we all push God. God says this, we push back. All you got to do is draw a line, and we all try to figure out a way to get past that line. 
Adam's in trouble here because he didn't lead his wife because God says to him to Adam, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you saying you shall not eat of it. Here's what's happening. And there are consequences, and this is a whole nother day maybe, but the consequences, women have trouble in childbirth, conception, childbirth, all this stuff for one reason, what Eve did and the whole planet. The ground is cursed. Do you know why there are thorns? Do you know how you wonder sometimes, why are there weeds? Why didn't grass just grow? Why do you plant grass and weeds just grow without any help? That's part of the curse. The ground literally is cursed. Cursed is the ground for your sake, Adam. So if you're mowing the grass or weed in your yard and you want to wonder why, just thank Adam for all that. <laughs> cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And then something interesting happens here. In verse 20, he names Eve again. Now, he's already called her woman, and I don't recommend that woman, you know, don't call your wife woman. That doesn't go over big either. Come on, woman. You know, that doesn't, I don't try that either. Anyhow, <laughs> verse 20, and Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. So he's called her woman. Now he's calling her Eve. Also, for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. And without going too far into verse 21, you got the first animal sacrifice in Scripture in verse 21. Animals died to clothe Adam and Eve. And you jump it down however many hundreds and hundreds of years, and not an animal, but the Son of God died to clothe us again in his own righteousness. And that's the point of Easter, Christmas, the whole thing. But the first sacrifice takes place in 21. Then verse 22, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword, which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. He ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil sinned, that brought about death, but God stopped him before he got to the tree of life. Now, let me tell you something. That tree of life exists still, and you better get a hold of some of that fruit or you're in trouble. Because if you get a hold of that fruit, you will live forever. If you don't, you'll be dead forever. If you jump over to Luke, we know the story, the seed of the woman, she brings forth a son, calls his name Jesus why is it such a big deal? Adam is created out of the dust of the earth. Woman is taken out of man. But then you have a man being taken out of a woman to solve the problem. Jesus didn't just show up. God didn't just say, poof, here I am. The whole system is used, and there is a reason for that. Let me jump all over to Galatians chapter 4. In verse 1 and following, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is a master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, when's the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son. The fullness of time, obviously, was when Mary gets pregnant, Jesus is born, the fullness of time had come. God sent forth his son, born of a woman. And it is important, 
born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And then you jump to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and following, and listen to this. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, in other words, everybody who's on the planet are flesh and blood, and we all get here the same way, we're born of a woman, he himself likewise shared in the same. Again, born of a woman, shared in the same, took on flesh and blood. Why was that so important? The next phrase, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. The only way to destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, was to become a human being, God and a man, born of a woman, live in the flesh, and die in the flesh, and literally defeat death itself by having lived and died and being raised from the dead. So he has gone where we all go, where we all have to go, but he faced what we face and conquered it. Though he died, literally died, God raised him from the dead. And the next phrase, let me read it again in its entirety. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Let me jump over to Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And this, I think he's writing to one of the churches, I think the church at Ephesus. And he says, to him who overcomes, now we're back where we started, in the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. It's getting back to the garden, so to speak. The only way to get back to that garden is through Jesus himself. You are not going to get there unless you accept this gift of eternal life that is made possible through Jesus coming in the flesh, overcoming sin, the grave, death itself, defeating the devil, being raised from the dead, and now through him and because of him, we have access to get back into this place that God intended for us to be in a relationship with him, walking and talking with him. Now it's by faith, but soon if you trust in him, it'll be actually there in person, a new body, a new heaven, a new earth, but back to that place where the tree of life is in the midst of the paradise of God. And then the last verse in Revelation 22, beginning in verse 12, and this is Jesus speaking here, and he says, and behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, why? That they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Now, how does all this tie together? Christmas Eve turns out to be Mary, and God chose Mary a woman, and because of her willingness to be the womb that God would use, the Son of God, God himself, it says the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, she conceived in her womb, and this son that was to be born was the son of God. What Adam screwed up by not leading Eve, Eve is deceived, Adam sins, they get thrown out of the garden, all this mess is created. 
God takes Eve out of Adam and then uses the seed of a woman and takes Christ out of the woman, however many years later, and solves the problem that these two created in the beginning. And as simple as it is, you say, well, Easter's the deal. No, let me tell you something. If you don't have Christmas, you don't have Easter. There isn't any Easter without Christmas. And if Jesus doesn't come, if he's not born of a virgin, if he doesn't come exactly the way God prophesied and intended and doesn't live the way he's supposed to live and die the way he's supposed to die, then we got nothing. Thank you for listening to Richard Ellis Talks. We hope you're encouraged by Pastor Richard's unique way of challenging us to become more like Jesus, especially during this holiday season. You know, that's the goal of this program and the goal of Richard himself, to be God's hands, feet, and voice, to help us grow in our faith journey and to become a reflection of Jesus to our neighbors, our community, and the world. You know, when you open your heart and life to the saving grace of Jesus Christ, that's the beginning point of the most amazing journey you'll ever experience. But it's also a journey that we want to join with you. So we'd love to hear from you, whether you've been on this faith road for a while or just getting started. The website is richardellistalks.com. There's a prayer wall to click on so you can share how we can come alongside you this holiday season. Also, during the 25 Talks of Christmas this month, it's a different holiday-themed program each and every day. So if you miss any previous Christmas talk, just click on the Daily Talks Advent Calendar to listen to, download, or share any of these Christmas talks. It's right there at richardellistalks.com. And finally, a quick reminder that you can automatically receive a direct text on your phone each and every morning that will link you to the most recent Christmas talk on the website. Simply text the word Richard to 855-6-RICHARD. That's the word Richard to our toll-free number 855-6-RICHARD. So, until the next of our 25 Talks of Christmas, we love you, We're praying for you, and we thank you for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.